0: we started a new message series last week called famous last words and we began by talking about last words that people have said just before they died how sometimes those words can be really profound sometimes they give us a glimpse into a person's life maybe into their character sometimes their last words give us a clue as to how they died why they died. I saw a cartoon on Instagram this past Thursday. It showed a couple that were standing by a grave in the cemetery and the woman says, "His last words were, I think I'll give the cat a bath." If you've ever tried to give a cat a bath, you understand that cartoon, famous last words. Well, between now and Easter, we're going to be looking at the the last seven sayings of Christ from the cross. Probably the most famous last words ever spoken, certainly the most important ones. They not only help us see Jesus better, they show us how our lives can reflect in many ways His values, His priorities, His focus. Jesus' last words help us understand the gospel better and really His whole purpose for coming into this world and saving us from our sins. So we began last week with these first of his last words, these shocking words that he spoke on forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It really is unbelievable if you think about it, the, the torture of the soldiers and the, the taunts of the crowd, the mockery of the religious leaders. And Jesus expresses forgiveness. Now, we clarified last week that Jesus was not pronouncing sort of the forgiveness of God on every person there that day this was not some kind of blanket removal of guilt for everyone in attendance Jesus was praying to God on their behalf he was releasing his own right to get even and he was leaving them in God's hands in short he was doing what we're supposed to do when people hurt us we forgive those who hurt us and we let God handle the justice Jesus simply forgave them for doing what they had done to him. Ken Geyer explained it this way. He wrote, amidst the humiliating abuse of the crowds and the excruciating pain of the cross, Jesus was still about his father's business. Well, We're going to see more of the same today. In the middle of this unbelievable agony, Jesus is still focusing on others. In fact, he's going to do that throughout these seven sayings. What I want to do today first is read from Luke as he describes this account in his gospel. And then I want to give you some important lessons that I think we gain from it. But finally I want us to put ourselves into the story and I want to show you not just two sides of the same coin but I kind of want to show you three sides of the same coin. I want to show you three perspectives that I think we can see In this story and how we fit into this story. Luke kind of begins this part of the account in chapter 23 verse 32 by saying, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. And then go down to verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him. Here's these final words. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. So two men crucified with Jesus, and for one of them, imagine this, for one of them, it was the best day of his life. And you said, well, how is that possible? He's dying this horrible death. It's possible because it was on that day that his life collided with mercy and grace in a profound way. It was on this day that he heard these words of Jesus, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, we don't know this guy's name. We only know that he was a thief. His story kind of reminds me of movies where they begin the movie with the main character in some kind of crisis moment, something terrible is happening, and then they go back and they explain to you what got to this point. Only the Bible doesn't go back and bring us to this point. We have to speculate. We don't have any of the backstory. We only know that this guy was a thief. Was he the product of bad parents or was he the heartbreak of good parents? Did he start off good and turn bad, or was he a rotten apple from the very beginning? Was he a purse snatcher? Was he a jewel thief? Was he a bank robber? We just don't know. Did his robbery include violence? Did it include murder? You would kind of think probably because of how horrible this punishment was. But we just really don't know. And friends, it's hard to imagine a mode of execution more unmerciful than crucifixion. I mean, today we have lethal injection if somebody's executed so that condemned people experience as little pain as possible. And even in the days of, of firing squads and electric chairs, <clears throat> the purpose was to end life quickly. Man, a- as barbaric as the guillotine was, you have to admit it was designed to be thorough and to be instantaneous. Crucifixion was just the opposite It was intended to prolong death And intensify pain as much as possible Following a scourging that killed many people Condemned men were nailed to crosses Long spikes were driven probably through the wrists The Bible says through his hands But the Greek word in the New Testament for hand is kair And it refers to the fingers, the palm, and the wrists We talk about handcuffs but we're talking about the wrists being secured. Most scholars believe that, the, that it would have been the wrists because the two bones there that are in your wrist would, I'm not trying to be gross, but would just give support for that to happen to hold him up on the cross. Any way you look at it, I mean, the nails in the wrist, nails in the feet, it was just a horrible way to be punished, a horrible way to die. Our word excruciating literally means Out of the cross because it was recognized to be so awful crucifixion was agonizing it was unmerciful torture now the accounts in the Bible that talk about Jesus death tell us that he was nailed to the cross about the third hour that would be 9 a.m. on our reckoning of time it says about the sixth hour or noon and inky blackness just sort of settled across the land it got dark and then at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Jesus died. So he suffered there on the cross for six agonizing hours, and the last three of those hours shrouded in darkness. And sometime during those six hours, Jesus granted mercy to this unnamed thief. And really, there are several things that surprise me about this encounter. For one thing, this thief recognized in this horrible moment the incredible character of Jesus. Now the truth is he didn't start out that way. Matthew 27 44 says in the same way the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. When this whole horrible business started man both thieves insulted Jesus like a wounded animal that claws and bites. These guys spat out their hatred At everybody there in attendance life had done them wrong they were being dealt a cruel hand nobody cared whether they lived or died and and they just cursed and condemned the whole crowd but something happened that day in those hours that they hung on the cross this one thief went from hurling insults at Jesus to begging Jesus for mercy I wonder if when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, if it was those words that started to change this guy's heart. I mean, one minute, he's spitting out insults with everybody else, and then Jesus prays for his enemies. He asks God to to kind of go easy on them, and, and the next thing you know, this thief says, this guy's innocent. We're getting what our deeds deserve. He's done nothing wrong even in death, this horrible death, Jesus was a man of such character that this criminal recognized his blamelessness. He could not be guilty as charged. Now, another surprise for me is that this thief somehow grasped that Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. Remember me when you come into your kingdom Man, if this wasn't such a serious moment, it would be funny. This thief is nailed to the cross. He's looking around for somebody who might help him. So he hollers over to the guy on the cross next to him. And then he's making plans for what's going to happen when the crucifixion's over. It would be like two guys strapped to electric chairs side by side. And one of them says, hey, when this is over, you want to go to White Castle? I mean, you just don't make plans for after this. This is it, right? I mean, this is the end. And yet he's talking to Jesus about what comes next. What kind of kingdom was he expecting after the crucifixion? I have to believe that at some point in the past, this guy had heard something from Jesus. Maybe he was pickpocketing the crowd at a sermon, I don't know. But somehow he knew something about Jesus and about this kingdom, this future eternal kingdom. Somehow he understood that Jesus was on his way to a kingdom that was not part of this time and place, even this universe, and he wanted to get in on it. It really is incredible. I mean, come on, the the disciples spent three and a half years with Jesus, and they didn't get it during all that time. And this guy, in a few hours, has connected the dots. There's something more beyond this world. I think suffering sometimes has a way of bringing clarity to people. It's like smelling salts. It can kind of jolt you up, you know, and and reality just all of a sudden things kind of fall into perspective and and you you begin to, to see things in a more clear way. I mean, certainly he began to see that life was not just in the here and the now. You know, I think many people, especially young people, kind of have this feeling of being invincible, this feeling of being indestructible. And so we don't really think about suffering or tragedy or what could come later or you know eternity and all that because we live for the here and we live for the now. And man, when I was a teenager, I know that was a long time ago, but I remember, I remember that was kind of my attitude, that was my thought until when I was a freshman in high school, I was on a bicycle And I got hit by a van. And I spent the better part of a week in the hospital. The doctor told me how fortunate I was to have not broken my neck and been paralyzed or to have been killed. (laughs) There you go. I looked great when I came home. Yeah, man, teeth and all. I think that event, no kidding, that event just kind of woke me up. To mortality certainly but also to eternity and to heaven and hell and a whole lot of things led me into ministry but I think that accident really had a big bearing on me taking life more seriously than I ever had before I think suffering has a way of doing that and for this thief there's a moment of clarity here where he realizes that this life is not it and that Jesus is his ticket for future glory and so he he reaches out to him Even with nothing to offer in return he cries out for mercy and Jesus says okay it's another surprise really this guy had absolutely nothing to offer there was no chance to prove himself there was no opportunity to serve Christ in any way just this prayer for mercy just this bold request to have his past overlooked kind of a presumptuous appeal for compassion and Jesus says yes In fact, Jesus did more than kind of go easy on the guy, right? He absolved him of guilt, threw him a lifeline, and offered him everything. Max Lucado wrote, It makes me smile to think that there is a grinning ex-con walking the golden streets of heaven who knows more about grace than a thousand theologians. No one else would have given him a prayer, but in the end, that's all he had, and in the end, that's all it took. I don't know if there's a better picture of mercy and grace in the Bible than this one. If ever a gift was undeserved, certainly unearned, here it is the thief on the cross. And I think we can learn some lessons from this guy. As long as there is one breath left in your body, it's never too late to cry out to Jesus. As long as there's one breath left, We trust in Jesus. Now, of course, the whole goal of of salvation is that we surrender to Christ and we change our ways. We see in Scripture that when people came to Christ, they were baptized in the name of Christ. I mean, of course, the best plan is to follow Jesus right away and to make the most of our lives here on this earth. But in this story, we realize that literally Jesus is one prayer away. Whether you're sitting in church, whether you're sitting in your car, whether you're hanging on a cross, he's one prayer away. Notice what the thief said to him. He said, we're getting what our deeds deserve. He recognized his own need. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If we refuse to admit our need, Christ is not going to meet our need. If we refuse to ask for help he's not going to step in in this way we have to be honest about who we are before he's going to help us become who we need to be we reach the point where we honestly admit our failures then we're ready to trust Christ for his forgiveness and so this thief confesses his own sins before he reaches out to Jesus I think we learned some important truths here from a guy who lived a terrible life but died sort of an exemplary death. I think most of all what we see is that Jesus changes everything. What did he say? Today you will be with me in paradise. This this transformation from Jesus, it was several things, but for one thing it was immediate. He said today, not tomorrow, not next week, next month, or next year. This was not a, tell you what, you get your life straightened out and then come to me and we can talk. No, this was an immediate response from Jesus. Jesus is going through the most horrible experience imaginable, and yet he meets this need for this guy immediately. It's going to happen today. Now understand, this man, this thief, did not give Jesus... An ultimatum, this was not a command. He made a humble request. I remember a Dennis the Menace cartoon one time where Dennis is in trouble. He's having to sit in the corner because his mom is mad. He's not quite sure what he did wrong, but he's trying to sort it out in his mind. He says, I guess I should have said, please make it snappy. (laughs) You know, this is not the attitude of this thief. Okay, this is a humble request that Jesus immediately responds to today. But also the transformation was definite. Today you will be with me in paradise. Not you might, not well you can only hope or it's worth a try. There was a finality to Jesus' words as outrageous as they sound. Today you'll be with me in paradise. This is impossible unless Jesus really was who he said he was. When we surrender our lives to Christ, he takes us in, he adopts us into his family, and we can know it's true. We can rest assured in the promises that he's given to us. I love these verses in first or this key verse in 1 John 5:13. It's from the apostle John, and he wrote, "I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. It is definite." His promises are true, they're intentional, they're deliberate. He meant every word, and we can take it to the bank because he rose from the dead after he was executed for our sins. Now we also see, in a sense, that this promise was intimate. You will be with me, he says. There's relationship here. You will be with me somebody defined intimacy as into me you see intimacy is into me you see Jesus knows everything about you and everything about me he wants to be known by you and by me so here he is dying for the sins of the world but it wasn't just the sins of sort of everybody out there he's dying for the sins of the guy hanging on the cross next to him and he throws this guy a lifeline And he says, hey, we can go together into my kingdom. The transformation was definite, it was immediate, it was intimate, and it was infinite. You will be with me in paradise. Now, have you ever wondered why Jesus did not say, today you'll be with me in heaven? Why did he say paradise? I want to explain to you what I think is going on here, but we don't have a lot of time to dig deeply into this. There are some verses in the Bible that I think uh, point to this, and I, I didn't come up with this. I mean, this is sort of one way of looking that, uh, that I, I know I, I learned in the past. What I want to do is just kind of tell you briefly what I think is going on. Follow me on this, and if you have questions later, I'll do my best. But, but before Jesus died on the cross, before he died... The sins of mankind all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, all the sins in the Old Testament, the sins of Abraham and Moses and King David, everybody who ever lived, none of those sins had been washed away before Jesus came. None of them had been completely erased by God because Jesus had not yet died on the cross. He had not paid for those sins. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.15, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't just dying for the sins of everybody in the crowd, for the sins of the thieves hanging next to him. He was not just dying for everybody who would sin in the future, including you and me. He died for every sin that had ever been committed all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So before, hang with me, before those sins were washed away from all those people in the past they did not go to heaven because their sins had not been washed away yet they went to paradise sometimes it was referred to as Abraham's side they went to be with Abraham they were waiting for the salvation that would one day come so that they could go to heaven I believe this what I believe that when Jesus died he went to paradise so did the thief and Jesus made this big announcement it's over it's done Your sins are now washed away. And I believe that everybody who was in paradise, he took to heaven. And so today when a believer dies, you don't go to paradise, you go to heaven to be with the Lord because now that Jesus has paid the price for our sins, we can go to heaven and be with him. So that's what I think was kind of happening here in this moment. This rescue from Jesus right here on the cross, it was immediate it was deliberate, it was intimate, and it was infinite. And friends, I want you to get this from the thief. We are one decision away from the mercy and grace of God. All of us are one decision away from everything that Jesus offers us. Now, having said that, the fact is, this thief is not the perfect example. Of how best to surrender to Christ waiting until the last moments to sort of throw out a final cry for mercy sort of an 11th hour conversion that's pretty risky there's no guarantee of another breath much less another day and so we we surrender to Christ now and then we spend our lives with joy and with hope and peace all the while growing more and more like him but I think this story is just such a beautiful picture Of what he offers us this mercy and grace that's a gift to us you know I've had the opportunity on several occasions to go on mission trips to India I love India and central India Christian mission is just an amazing place it's led by Ajay Lal and his wife Indu and then their kids are involved in the ministry as well but they are just working with some of the most desperate people in the world And on one of the trips there, I met a man who had a pretty amazing backstory. This guy, in many ways, was not so different from the thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus. See, the mission runs a children's home. It's just south of New Delhi, uh, the capital of India. And there's this guy in the community. And man, he was a pagan, just a violent man. He was a thief, a suspected murderer. People terrified of this guy. And his daughter, every day, would come to the children's home. She didn't live there, but she would come and get food, and she would receive care and Bible teaching. And more than once, this guy showed up at the children's home demanding to know why they were teaching his daughter about Christianity. And every time, Indu would say to him, if we give her food, but we do not give her Jesus, we have not really helped her. And one day the guy comes and he kind of demands more specific answers. He says, what have you done to my daughter? And Indu kind of told me later, she's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? He said, my daughter is polite now. My daughter is obedient now. She takes care of herself. She dresses well. What did you do? To my daughter and Indu explained to him that man when Jesus gets hold of your heart it changes you and this guy's still pretty skeptical but he likes what he's seeing so his daughter keeps coming and one day again Indu tells me this story later she said she had this idea this improbable unbelievable crazy idea she went to this man this notorious violent man and she asked him if he wanted a job Now you got to understand for anybody who's uneducated in India to have a job that has a regular paycheck, man that's an amazing thing, but for a known criminal even more so. As unbelievable as it may sound to you, Indu asked him if he would like to be the security guard for the children's home. He would get a uniform, he would get polished shoes, he would wear a gun, And he would have a measure of self-respect that he'd never known before. He was shocked that she would offer him that. But he accepted the job. And as you you might imagine, you hang around a bunch of Christians long enough, it's kind of contagious. And he became a Christian. It did not hurt that everybody in the community knew that a suspected murderer was now the armed guard at the children's home. Kind of cuts down on security problems. I want you to understand, that offer of a job was an act of mercy. He did not deserve it. He certainly hadn't earned it. And she readily admits how risky it was, but she felt like it's what God told her to do. And so she did. And it changed his life. Friends, what happened to that criminal in India can happen to you and me what happened to that thief on the cross can happen to you and can happen to me when our life intersects with the grace and mercy of God everything changes now I want to kind of wrap things up this way I want to ask you just really quickly to look at the story from three perspectives the first two are from the the two thieves did you ever think about the fact that nobody was closer to Jesus when he died than these two thieves They weren't huddled around the bottom of the cross there at the foot of the cross like Mary probably was. They weren't out there scattered in the crowd somewhere with everybody else. They weren't kind of hiding their faces in anguish like the disciples. They were right there, eye level with him, feeling the same nails and the same splinters and experiencing the same torture. The only difference was they were getting what their deeds deserved and he was not. Those two thieves, I think in many ways, are a microcosm of the world. Both of them were guilty. Both of them were broken. Both of them at one time had rejected Christ. The only difference is that one of the thieves had a change of heart. When he saw the character of Jesus, he recognized his own evil nature, and he cried out to Jesus for mercy. Friends, the question is, which thief are you? Which thief am I? One was angry and bitter and demanding, and one was broken and humble and repentant. But I'm telling you, we all fall in there somewhere, whether you've ever stolen anything or not. The reality is there are people in this world, maybe there are people in this room, who were like that first thief. So close to Jesus, you could almost reach out and touch him, and yet, maybe on the inside, just kind of spitting out the hostility and making demands of God and refusing to submit. There are people like that. And there are other people right here in this room like that second thief who've humbled ourselves before Jesus and received his mercy and grace even though we didn't deserve it. And so the question is, which thief are you? But while those are two sides of the same coin, kind of two responses to the same offer, I'm going to ask you just real quickly here to think about this story from one more perspective. See, I believe that we can look into this story and we can also find ourselves in the place of Jesus in the story. I don't mean dying for the sins of the world. I certainly don't think we have the divine authority to grant people heaven. Just think about Jesus in this moment. He is suffering beyond comprehension. Right? The physical torment, sure, but beyond that, he's bearing the guilt and the sin of the whole world. And yet, in the middle of that agony, he looks at this other man, this criminal, and he sees this guy's pain, he hears this guy's request, and he reaches out with grace and with compassion. Do you know what that tells me? That we need to see people through the eyes of Jesus. Nobody in that crowd that day thought that thief had a chance. Everybody knew his life was over. He had a one-way ticket to hell. It was obvious. And yet in this last moment, something so profound happened that he received from Jesus eternity. And listen, we cannot look at people, no matter how evil they are, no matter how desperate they are, no matter how far from God they are, and we decide that they're beyond the grace and mercy of God. No one is too far gone to receive the gospel. Not if they want to. many, Many won't accept it. But nobody is too far gone to receive it. So that means when we look at people, lost people, desperate people, hateful people, people we don't like, people who don't like us, when we look at them, we see them as people for whom Christ died. And we see them as people that Jesus longs to save. Here's the bottom line today. We don't give up on others because Jesus won't give up on us. It's a reminder that he's not going to give up on us, but also that we don't give up on other people. I remember when I was a kid, there was this little plaque that was real popular. People had it as posters. Probably it's a meme today on the computer. And it's somebody who says, I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? And Jesus said this much, and he stretched out his arms, and he died. And did you ever think about the fact that when Jesus died, his arms were wide open? They were. They were so wide open that they embraced a thief who was hanging right next to him. And his arms are wide open today for people that you won't believe he's going to welcome in. And so when we look at people, we look at them with arms wide open. That's how he sees us. And so our goal is to see other people that way. We don't give up on other people because he doesn't give up on us. And that's the beauty of the cross. Let's pray. Father, we we read this account in Luke and we we see ourselves in the story. Some of us kind of relate to that thief who was so angry and so bitter. Many of us maybe relate to that thief who While having a bad past, we're smart enough to realize Jesus is our only hope. But may we also have the grace to see ourselves through your eyes, Jesus. That we look at other people the way you did. In the middle of your own suffering and pain, you still were looking at other people with compassion. You did not give up on the two most hopeless people in the crowd that day. And one of them surrendered. May we have eyes to see people that way. May we have arms that are open to see that your grace and mercy are for anybody who will accept it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a decision song as we do every week, and it's an opportunity to reflect on what we've talked about. But but it's also a chance, I think, if you need to make some next-step decisions for the Lord, maybe you need to repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ. And I'd love to talk with you about that. We have other people who'd be glad to sit down and talk with you as well. But the offer is is there. It it, it is, and there's no reason to wait. That's the challenge. I'm going to ask you to stand with us as we sing. Mm.